All right, so we are talking about the comeback. And there's a little bit of emotion deep down inside when we talk about a comeback because we are at the bottom of things. It has never been worse in this pandemic season than it is right now. And it's probably going to get a little worse in the coming couple of weeks. Uh, and, and here we are talking about a comeback. And so there's a little bit of a struggle. Is now the time to talk about a comeback or should we wait a little while? Should we wait until the curve starts you know, behaving again? Um, but I think even biblically, and we'll talk about that today, that now is the perfect time to talk about the comeback. Because when you're at the bottom, that's the time to have a little hope start rising. That's the time to see a little bit of a vision of what's ahead. That's the time to start planning a comeback when you're at the bottom. In fact, uh, you know, planning for a comeback is, is something that sports teams do all the time. It's a little saying out there in the sports world that the comeback is greater than the setback. Have you heard that? Uh, in fact, um, it's in the form of a mask. That phrase is in the form of, you can buy that mask. It says the comeback is greater than the setback. And so it's a thing you say to kind of motivate people at the bottom, you know, again, whether it's a sports team or a business setback, wherever you're kind of on your heels, right, and you've experienced a, a blow of some kind, this is the, the phrase, this is the concept, the comeback concept that can help get us sort of emotionally in that good spot, give us a little bit of strength, a little bit of courage to endure, and then start planning our way back. Now, the reality is we are wired for a comeback story. Every single one of us loves a comeback story. In fact, I'll tell you this as just a flat-out rule without exception. Every good story told is a comeback story. Every good story told is a comeback story. Every TV show is about a comeback story. Every movie is about a comeback story. Every novel is about a comeback story. Every good story is about a comeback, and it all follows the exact same formula. So for those of you who might be literature types, uh, or uh, writers, and anyway, you might know this curve that is behind me. It is the story curve. Every story follows the exact same curve. The protagonist is introduced at the very beginning of any novel, any show, any movie. The protagonist is introduced, and you have a scene that's kind of set. Then the protagonist suffers a setback of some kind, usually minor to moderate setback, right? And then they struggle to come back. But when they struggle to come back, there's more setbacks and more setbacks. The adventure kind of builds to a giant spectacular fall. This is kind of act two. The giant spectacular fall where all is lost. All hope is gone. There is no way out of this dilemma. Then what happens? The big comeback. This big massive comeback that is more glorious and victorious than anything this person has ever experienced before. And then the story kind of settles out and resolves. Every single story that we love, every single movie, every single sports story is about a comeback. Let me take you quickly through 100 years of sports. You ready? <laughs> ben Hogan. Uh, he won a ton of tournaments in the 1940s. He gets in a horrific car accident. We're talking about a 1940s car, no seatbelts, almost dies. I mean, they're scraping him up off the road. Basically, you're not going to live. If you live, you're not going to walk. He ends up living, walking, and later in 1953 wins three major tournaments. Pele is the king of soccer in the 60s. He is tackled horrifically uh, from the butchers of Portugal. He's out. Years later, he comes and wins the fourth World Cup for Brazil in 1970. Some of us remember Andre Agassi, a, a young tennis phenom uh, who plummeted from his heights with depression, methamphetamine addiction. Years later on the comeback trail, he becomes the oldest player in the top three by 2002. Some of you might remember Monica Seles, world ranked number one. She is literally stabbed in the back by a, a fan sitting courtside during a tournament. 
And the general consensus was she's out. You can't experience that kind of assault in your sport and come back with any kind of emotional readiness to tackle the game again. 1995, she wins the Canadian Open. 1996, wins the Australian Open. Michael Jordan, after three uh, championships, NBA championships, he, he quits, he's demotivated, he's dabbling in professional baseball, that doesn't go well. He gives a two-word press conference, I'm back. Next three years, wins the next three NBA championships. George Foreman, 20-some uh, years old, he wins a world title. 20 years later, as a 45-year-old, he knocks out a 26-year-old world champion with a single right punch. Bethany Hamilton, at 13 years old, her arm is ripped off by a shark while surfing. One month later, she is back on the water surfing. She goes on to win a world championship and goes professional. Tiger Woods, after years of public embarrassment from his personal life and multiple knee and back surgeries, including a back uh, fusion, uh, in, 19, uh, in 2019, he comes back to win the Masters Championship 11 years after his previous Masters Championship. Alex Smith, November 2018, breaks his leg, quarterback of the then Washington Redskins. Not only was his leg at risk of being amputated, but he almost lost his life through infection and flesh-eating bacteria. They save his life, barely save his leg. Today, he will start for the Washington football team. An incredible comeback story. We love these comeback stories. We live for the comeback stories, right? Which is why I think we're so drawn to the Bible. The Bible is a massive 1,027-page comeback story. It is a comeback story. And within that comeback story, there are micro-comeback stories. Every story in the Bible is a comeback story, all contributing to the, the meta-narrative of the Bible, which is a comeback story. From the, page, the first page to the last page, it's a comeback story. Let me quickly set the stage. Here's the second verse of the Bible, Genesis 1, verse 2. The earth the creation itself was formless and empty, and darkness covered the depths of the waters, and the Spirit of the Lord was hovering over the surface of the waters. Now, I don't believe Genesis 1 is about how God created the heavens and the earth at all. I think that misses the point. It's about what God is doing in the heavens and the earth. And so in, in verse 2, it says, this world is full of darkness. This world is full of chaos. This world is full of emptiness. But where's God? He's right in the midst of it. He's right here with us, and he's moving. He's moving. And what does he do? In verse 3 of the Bible, God says, let there be light and there was light. God is declaring there will be light in this darkness. It is what God is doing in all seasons throughout human history. God is in our darkness. He's moving in our darkness and declaring there will be light. That's the first page of the Bible. Let's go to the last page of the Bible. Revelation 22.5. There will be no night. Darkness is gone, vanquished. The nations will need no light of lamp or sun, for the Lord God will be their light and they will reign forever and ever. That's the last page of the Bible. The entire Bible is this dramatic, very adventurous story going from darkness and chaos and emptiness to pure light where all the nations are gathered together in love and unity, all praising God together and loving each other. That's the story of God's word. It's incredible. Now, in the midst of that meta-narrative, there are all these little micro-stories of comeback. Adam and Eve blew it bad, right? They did the only thing they were asked not to do, major setback. So they're done, right? Not at all. God starts a redemption story, a comeback story with Adam and Eve. How about Job? It's the oldest book of the Bible. He loses everything, his family, his estate, his health. Loses it all, major setback. He's done, right? No, God starts a comeback story. How about Joseph? 
He was beat up by his 11 brothers and sold into slavery and hauled off to Egypt. He's done, right? Here's this Semite hauled off to slavery in Egypt. He's done. Major setback. God starts a comeback story with Joseph. How about Moses? He murders an Egyptian and flees to the desert. He's a fugitive in the desert. He is done. He, he's he's a, a murder uh, suspect fleeing the superpower of Egypt in the desert. It's over, right? Major setback. God starts a comeback with Moses. Begins with a burning bush. How about David? This great young hero who took down Goliath. The king of Israel became so jealous of this young man's popularity, he, he dispatched his armies to put him to death, and he's hiding in caves, afraid for his life. He's done, right? Not on God's story. God starts a major comeback with David. How about Israel, the nation itself? God did everything to give them land and to give them a, a nation of, of great stature. And what did they do? They ruined it time and time and time again. They chose to dishonor God, disobey God, worship idols, use the, the power uh, of this kingdom that God established for them for their own personal prosperity, king after king, corruption after corruption. But God says, I'm going to do a comeback even for Israel. Isaiah 43, 18, look. I'm about to do something new. This is at the depths of their setback. Look, I'm about to do something new. See, I've already begun. Do you not see it, God says. I will make a pathway through the wilderness. I will create rivers in the dry wasteland. God says, even in this nation that is time and time again for hundreds of years, betrayed God, denied God, dishonored God, disobeyed God, God says, listen, there will be a comeback even with you. And several hundred years later through Israel, that comeback was in the form of a single Hebrew person, Jesus Christ. And Jesus Christ himself is a comeback story, right? I mean, I think the story of Jesus is the comeback story, capital T, capital C. Jesus is the comeback story, right? A true hero of the people. He's serving the people, particularly the outcast and the sick and the lonely, the least, the last, and the lost. He's serving the people. Not only is he serving the people, he is confronting uh, those who are perpetrating injustice against them. So he's confronting all the religious powers and all the political powers. And because he's confronting the religious and political powers, they want him put to death and they succeed. And he is arrested and he's tried and he's tortured and he's crucified. Major setback, right? He's done. You don't escape a Roman crucifixion. It's over, right? Until Sunday morning. <laughs> God's a God of comeback. And we need a comeback in 2021, right? In fact, um, the way I'm sort of phrasing it is we need the reverse of 2020, right? 2020 started with great, you know, joy and celebration, and it was awesome, and it ended the year in a total disaster. 2020 starts in a total disaster, and we want to have some hope and some vision and start working towards 2021 ending at the top of the world, whatever that means for you, ending at the top of the world. And so we're talking about the comeback. And there's this discussion even among our teams here. We had this discussion. Is now the time to talk about a comeback? People are hurting. People are very literally sick. People are very literally dying. People are afraid. People are in their homes again. Businesses are struggling. Is this the time to talk about a comeback? We're probably at the bottom of this thing. Shouldn't we wait a little while? I don't think so. I think the best time to talk about a comeback, biblically, and the best time even in our experience to talk about a comeback is right here, right now at the bottom. And there's three reasons why I say that, so follow me here. First reason why I think now's the time to talk about a comeback is we need hope. Hope for a comeback is most needed at the bottom of a setback. 
When you're at the bottom of, of, of a setback, we can just kind of, you know, wallow in our own misery, right? We can wallow in what we don't have. We can blame and we can accuse, you know, people, particularly in power, of the things they didn't do for us or didn't do right. But I think the better option is to choose hope, to choose hope. Hope for a comeback is most needed at the bottom of a setback. This happened with Job, right? This is the, the, the great story of the Old Testament. Uh, Job, as we've talked about earlier, lost everything, his family, his estate, he lost it all, his health. A friend comes alongside Job and tries to give a little spark of hope because Job was spiraling out of control. His mind, his emotions, he had lost everything, he's spiraling. Here's what his friend says. Having hope, Job, will give you courage. You will be protected and will rest in safety. You will lie down unafraid and many will look to you for help. Job is so despondent, he is sitting on a street covering himself with ash, wishing he was dead. And his friends love him and they're trying. Job, you gotta have just a little spark of hope, a little spark of hope, Job. And, and hope does so much for us. Hope does incredible things for us, especially we, when we're at the bottom of a setback. Kristen Weir, a psychologist, says this, hope is associated with many positive outcomes, including greater happiness, better achievement, and better health. She says it's a necessary ingredient for getting through tough times. You cannot get through tough times if you don't have at least a spark of hope. So what is hope? I chose this definition very, very carefully. Hope is the belief that things could get better. Hope is a belief. We don't know what's coming in the future. We have no idea. So it's just a belief. And it's a belief that things could get better. What's the key word there? Yeah, could. I cheated there for you. Could is the key word. Hope is to be held with an open hand. Now follow me here. Hope is the belief that things could get better. Because if we don't have hope that things could get better, then we believe something different. We believe things won't get better. And when we believe things won't get better, there's almost no escape from that prison. That is despair. It's an emotional despair, a mental despair. We are just stuck and paralyzed. So as Job was stuck and paralyzed, his friend says, listen, just have a little hope. And his friend didn't give him any specific game plan. The friend didn't give him the pathway out. The friend just said, listen, things might get better. You might get healthier. You might have some, some better days ahead. Hold it with an open hand. Things could get better. There is also such thing as false hope. False hope believes things will get better. And false hope is usually associated with a very specific belief that things will get better in a very specific way. I will give you an example. Let's say we have a loved one that is sick. And we have what I would call a false hope. And we believe God will heal that person because I prayed for them. And there are a lot of churches that have this kind of thing. If we have enough faith, God will heal. If we have enough faith, God will make us rich. If we have enough faith, God will answer our prayers. All of that is false hope, all of it. Because what it does is it, is it kind of demands something will happen in the future for sure. And so we, we don't have a hope with an open hand that says things could get better. We say things will get better, and I believe God, and I'm gonna pray a certain way. This person will be healed on this timeline, right? It will happen. When it doesn't happen, what happens? We lose hope even more. Either God failed or we failed. Either God didn't fulfill his promise or I didn't have enough faith. That's false hope. People are trapped in false hope. Real hope is an open hand. I believe things could get better. 
I might wish they get better this way. No, but they didn't. That's okay. Well, now I hope things will get better maybe in a different way. And it's flexible, right? It's an open hand. It's a very healthy way to hold our hope. There's a, a phrase in uh, English football. So if you, if you live in England and you uh, are a fan of a football team, what we call soccer across the pond, there's this, uh, there's this phrase that it's the hope that kills you. <laughs> Because if your team's a disaster, you know, the whole community rallies around and says, but next year, next year, we're hoping for a better year. And then it's a disaster again. It's the hope that kills you, right? It completely demotivates you. So that's why holding hope is, is so important, to hold it in the right way. It's the belief that things could get better. That's enough. Not a tight-fisted things will get better and I'll play, pray and claim a certain outcome. No, it's I'm going to hope and I'm going to walk and I'm going to be flexible. That kind of hope is enough. That kind of hope is enough to give you courage. That kind of hope is enough to give you patience. That kind of hope is, is enough to have you take the next step through terrible times, right? And that hope is most valuable at the bottom of a setback, which is why we talk about comeback right here and right now at the bottom. Hope also allows us to envision what a comeback might look like, right? So we first have hope, then we have vision. The vision of a comeback, to start imagining what that looks like, the vision of a comeback inspires us to action at the bottom of a setback. So not only do we have hope that things could get better, but we allow God to give us a vision, a little mental image of what a comeback sort of looks like, right? And again, we hold that with an open hand as well. But because we start to see what things might look like in the future for the better, we start to get a little motivated. We can start to take some action. In Ezekiel chapter, chapter 7, uh, the nation of Israel is completely, utterly decimated. They are wiped out, and they are at the bottom of their setback. Listen to what uh, God says. Terror and trembling will overcome my people. They will look for peace but will not find it. Calamity will follow calamity. Rumor will follow rumor, and they will seek a vision. And that's exactly what we need at the bottom of a setback. We need vision. Not just a hope that gives us the belief that something could change, but a specific vision starts to emerge, right? Also held with an open hand, a vision emerges of the way things could be, and then we get motivated. So here's an example of what happens when we lose vision, because when we lose vision, things can go wrong, real bad. In fact, Proverbs 29:18 says, where there is no vision, the people perish. So imagine a neighborhood, probably an inner city neighborhood, and they're just trapped in poverty and gangs and drugs and nothing has worked, nothing has worked, it just gets worse. Sometimes an entire neighborhood can lose vision. They don't have any vision ahead of what their neighborhood could look like for the better. And so they just kind of give up. Maybe a business is in a downward spiral and there just doesn't seem to be any way out of it. Investors start you know, bailing out, uh, people stop coming to that business and it's just a downward spiral where there's no vision. A basketball game is a blowout, and there's four minutes to go. What happens? The fans start leaving, uh, the first string sits, and it becomes a second string practice. There's no vision, so there's no action. If a marriage is struggling, and so many marriages are struggling in 2020, uh, oftentimes under the radar because we're not with each other as much, and so families are just struggling and struggling, sometimes in, in silence. And, and they've lost vision of recapturing the marriage they had or, or making it even better than it ever was. When you don't have that vision, you don't put in the work. But if we can hold this hope that things could get better, and then we start to allow God to give us a vision of what our future might look like, we are then ready to make a plan. 
The best comebacks are planned at the bottom of a setback. The best comebacks are planned at the bottom of a setback. So now is the time to talk about a comeback because now's the time we need hope. Now's the time we need vision. And now's the time we need to make a plan. And I know for a lot of us, we don't feel like making plans because we're at the bottom. Maybe your business is struggling. Maybe your income is down. Maybe some loved ones are sick and you're thinking, I am not in an emotional spot to start planning a comeback. Maybe I can hold some hope. Maybe I can get a vague vision, but I'm certainly not ready to plan a comeback. I'm gonna ask you to ask God, not only for the hope, not only for the vision, but the strength to start planning the comeback, whatever that is for you. If it's your business, your vocation, your livelihood, your family, your faith, your emotions, how you think, whatever comeback you need, now is the time to get hope, to get vision, and to make a plan. In Nehemiah chapter two, there's this wasteland of the city of Jerusalem. It is just leveled. There's nothing there. And the exiled Jewish people started making a plan when there was nothing to work with. Nehemiah 2.17, I said to them, Nehemiah says to the people, I said to them, you know our trouble. They're like, yes, we do. Our city is flattened and we are basically slaves in a foreign land. You know our trouble. Jerusalem lies in ruins. Its gates have been destroyed by fire. Let us rebuild the wall of Jerusalem and end this disgrace. They were asking God for motivation. They were asking God for hope, asking God for a vision, and then they started planning the comeback of the city of Jerusalem. And that's exactly what happened. They got the money, they got the manpower, they mobilized, and they started brick by brick rebuilding the city of Jerusalem. And it emerged way better than it had ever been. Way better. Planning the comeback starts at the depths of the setback. Now, we have been through this before. We've been through setbacks before. In fact, exactly 10 years ago, we were at the bottom of the Great Recession. You might remember that. Now, it was different because there wasn't you know, so much of a toll on health and loss of loved ones. So it, it feels you know, different now for sure. But at the time, everybody was freaked out. The economy had collapsed. Unemployment rate at 10%. Uh, the housing market completely dried up. People were upside down and foreclosing their, ha- their homes. Whole neighborhoods, even in our whole area, were full of blight because people just abandoned their homes. I mean, it was I- incredible, right? This is just 10 years ago. And, and I remember us having the conversation here at Rancho because we were hit really hard, really hard. Um, the Rancho world operates on donations, voluntary donations, and uh, paying tuition for school. And if you run into an economic disaster in your own family life, you can pull back your donation and you can pull back your private school tuition, just like that. And people did, just like that. We lost about a third of our income in one month. That was 2008, September 2008, one month. And so we were scrambling, I mean scrambling. And we managed to kind of pull things together and we survived and then we started thinking right around 2000, late 2009, 2010, I remember a conversation I had with myself in my own mind, and the best conversations I ever have are with myself in my own mind, because we have it all figured out. And I remember a phrase, I mean, clear as as day, I will never forget these phrases that, that rattled in my head. I think we're scraping the bottom. And now's the time to plan the comeback. I mean, it was it was a day, it was a moment. Now is the time to plan the comeback. And so I just kind of allowed God a little bit of hope, a little bit of a vision. Now let's start planning. And then you get some teams together and, all right, let's talk about a comeback. And they're looking at, at you going, what do you mean a comeback? We're 
in a mess. We're in an absolute mess and you're talking about a comeback. We're not ready. Well, this is the time to get ready. And so you get some people in a room and you just start kind of forcing yourself to put some, you know, pencil to paper and whiteboards going on and you plan and you plan and you plan. You know, again, all with an open hand, but we're asking God, do something great through this setback. And what we decided 10 years ago is the new Rancho, and we rebuilt Rancho almost from scratch, the new Rancho is going to be other-centered. It's not just gonna be about a bunch of people saying, feed me, entertain me, do stuff for my kids. It's like, we're gonna mobilize, this church is gonna mobilize to serve the community and to serve the world. We are here to serve. That's what Jesus did, that's what we're going to do, is we're gonna serve. And so in the depth of the recession, we put a ton of what little we had left into starting the rescue mission, which to this day is leading the city in humanitarianism and housing, food ministry, the farm, we put our money into local impact and global impact, 51 ministries now serving people that are in need. We are approaching 50% of our budget outside the walls of the church. We wanna take care of each other. We wanna you know, provide great you know, environments and grow in our faith here. But we are called to follow Jesus and Jesus put his life outside the walls of the temple to serve people that are in need. And so we basically you know, had our comeback as a totally different church. We doubled down on Christian education. We started a brand new private high school in 2010, everybody thought we were nuts. And then internally, we started designing the West Campus. You talk about audacity, right? Here we are putting most of our budget outside the walls of the church, and then at the same time, also building more inside the walls of the church. And if we didn't plan that campus, which is used every single day to serve so many people of all generations with the gospel of Jesus Christ, if we didn't plan that at the depth of the Great Recession, that thing would not exist today. I totally believe that. And so the best, I think, planning comes when we're at the bottom of a setback, the best. Because that's when we can really not just be a, a spectator in the comeback, but we can navigate the comeback and we can be in charge of the comeback by God's strength. So here we are and we are probably scraping the bottom. The Christmas COVID bubble is happening right now, right now. And it will linger probably through January and into February. Now is the time for hope with an open hand. Now is the time to start imagining a vision of what the comeback might look like. Now is the time to start planning that comeback. And we're doing that with church leaders. We're doing that. And through this series, you're going to help us do that through this series. What is Rancho going to emerge as? But I want to ask you on a more personal level, what is your setback? What is your setback? In the early days of 2021, probably in many ways reeling from 2020, what is your personal setback? Just call it out right now in your own head. Maybe it's a setback in your career. You're in a business that's really struggling or a business owner. You work for a company that's struggling. What is your setback? Maybe your family is a mess right now. You're keeping it together because it's just what you're doing right now, but your family's a mess. Your marriage is a mess and, and you're thinking, what can my comeback possibly be? Maybe your kids are not who they used to be. And we know so many kids just with our relationship with our own kids, they're not the same kids they were because they've been at home for so long. They're in their house. Kids are not meant to be locked up in their house in online school. They're not meant for that. They're not wired for that. And so something is going on in their soul. They're maybe having a harder time getting up. They're maybe a little bit more snappy. They're kind of diving into technology way too much. They're staring off in the distance. They're not who they used to be. What's your setback? Maybe your setback is in your walk with God and, and you're just not feeling it like you used to feel it. 
Maybe your setback is in your emotions and you are feeling sort of a, a darkness of prolonged you know, societal trauma. That does something to all of us. Maybe in your head, you're, you're getting sideways in your thoughts and you're thinking things you've never thought before and it's kind of freaking you out. What's your setback? If you can name your setback in the early days of 2021, we can start praying for a little bit of hope, a little clarity on the vision forward, and the strength to start planning our comeback. And you can navigate your own comeback. God will give you the hope. God will give you the vision. God will give you the strength to plan. And you can write your own comeback story by God's help, and you can write that in a family of faith together, helping each other become the comeback story that God is so wanting us to live. So I'm gonna close in prayer, and as we do, this very day, this very moment could be the beginning of a comeback story that makes you a better person and have a stronger family, part of a stronger community of faith and a tighter relationship with God than you have ever experienced in your life. That could start literally today, first Sunday of 2021. Let's pray. Our God and Father, this, this is a big moment for the world. It's a big moment for our country. It's a big moment for us personally. We are still reeling from a terrible 2020 and 2021 is not going to start any better. But I pray that as we are in the depths of the setback, that you would give us that little glimmer of hope that we hold with an open hand, the belief that things could get better. And let that give us just enough of an open door to get our minds perhaps thinking about a vision of what that comeback look like, looks like, how our lives can be better, our families can be better, how our business can be better, our church can be better, the community can be better. And then give us the, the strength to be able to start making plans, to make some decisions that need to be made to make some changes so that we can become way better than, we, than we've ever been, that our families could be thriving more than they have ever been, that our businesses uh, can succeed more than they ever have, that we can be a, an employee that is um, very successful and, and very motivated and happy, thrilled with our workplace. May I walk with you be stronger than ever because we allow you to give us hope, to give us vision and the strength to make some plans that we can write our own comeback story fueled by every bit of courage and strength that you give us. And thank you for leading the way through your scripture and through your son, Jesus Christ, who himself became the victim of the powers of this world and, and came back even from the dead to give hope for, for this life and hope for eternity to come. We place our faith and trust in all of our confidence in you. Make a comeback story through us. In Christ's name we pray. And everybody said, Amen. Yeah,